Open up to Titus uh, chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, we're going to take a few weeks here and and think over some really important verses of the letter to Titus from Paul, who has been left, uh, Titus who has been left on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean to appoint elders and finish up what remains. Um, Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes this to Titus, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, I thank you for these words, and I thank you for the the richness that they will give to us in our lives, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the wonders of your word, and I pray that we would have hearts to do them, eager to do them, and eager to rejoice in them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you find in common with these following items? What is in common? Uh, VCR cassettes. TomTom GPSs. CD cases. Space heaters in Bakersfield this summer. And before this morning at 10.30 Pacific Time, the position of Prince Charles for 73 years. What do all of these three things have in common? Anybody Anybody have any guesses? They're old. They're old? <laughs> yes. They're useless? They're, yeah, not useless. CD cases were a vital part of my childhood. <laughs> Tom-toms, I couldn't get around without one. Yeah, what? They're not practice or in use anymore. Well, sort of, yes. Yes? Out of date. Out of date, yes. They're irrelevant. They're obsolete. You don't need them anymore. Nobody ever has an excuse for getting lost anymore. Nobody can have an excuse for getting lost, even though people do it every single day. But they have something on their phone called the GPS now. They, they can't say, hey, my TomTom died. Now they can say that my, my phone died, I guess. But uh, uh, v, VHSs, VHSs are obsolete. You don't even know what they are. Actually, I was just on vacation, and in this vacation house, they had a prized possession. They had the original Star Wars movie on VHS. I almost popped it in right then and there for the original, the, the thrill, the excitement. But all of these are, uh, are now or were irrelevant or obsolete. Um, if you didn't know, Queen Elizabeth died this morning and now Prince Charles at the age, at the ripe age of 73, finally gets to be King Charles. Can you imagine? Just having that position and waiting 73 years. Just completely obsolete. Irrelevant. Nothing to do. I mean, the Queen has nothing to do. How much more? Only Americans joke about this kind of thing, I suppose. But, but irrelevant. Obsolete. What makes something become obsolete? What makes something become irrelevant? Well, something better comes along, right? A CD player comes along. An MP3 player comes along. And they don't even have MP3s anymore. That's out of date. What is it now? I still have them. I don't even know what it is now. It's like the World Wide Web, and that's even out of date, right? (laughs) All of these things are obsolete because something better, something more powerful, something more efficient, something more effective has come along, and things become obsolete. Now, if you're a thing, the last thing you want is to be made obsolete. The, the whole plot line of the, the storyline to Toy Story is a new toy is going to come and make me, what? Obsolete. Obsolete, right? Irrelevant to Andy and his heart, right? 
Now, now we as people feel this as well. We don't want to be irrelevant. We don't want to be obsolete. We don't want to be useless. We want people to need us. We want to be valuable, right? No one wants to be uh, branded that way. And so how can, we, how can we protect ourselves from becoming obsolete? Well, the world has an answer for you. And believe it or not, God's Word has an answer for you. How can you uh, make yourself irrelevant proof? Right? How, what does the world say? The world says you have to work really hard and keep up with everything new and trendy. Right? The, the world says you need to essentially just stay young forever. The world says you need to follow everything that's trending online and know it all. That's how you keep yourself relevant. The world says you have to use you have to use all this money and spend all of this time on makeup and surgeries to keep yourself looking young. Because if you look old, nobody's going to respect you anymore. Nobody's going to want you in their life. You're going to be irrelevant, right? That's what the world tells you. Stay young. Stay current. Stay in today. But what does God's word tell you? Well, today we're going to see God's word tells you this. It says this to 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 maintain relevance to this world. You need to keep sound doctrine continually. You need to hold fast to something that is very old continually. You need to hold fast to truth, and you need to hold fast to the implications of that truth in your life continually if you want to stay current. If you want to be effective, a sharp tool in this world, if you want to have influence, you need to hold fast to truth and what it means to you every single day. Now here in Titus 2, we see kind of a shift in in Paul's um, writing to Titus. As as you remember, um, Paul was saying to Titus, be careful about influence in the churches of God. Influence will happen in the churches, and be careful who you put in positions of influence. And essentially what he's saying to you as well is, be careful who you let influence you. Because people will influence you, you need to be careful who that is. Remember, Paul goes into great detail to talk about who should lead the church, because the leaders of the church have influence. Remember, these men are supposed to be men of quality, of great qualification. Remember, we talked about how hard it is to find a man of God in verses 5 through 9, right? It takes a lot of work, a lot of qualification, a lot of time to become a man of God, a man worth following. And then Paul also said, be careful of the many as well in chapter 1, verse 10, right? There are many who go about spouting their opinions about how to follow God. There are, there are many people out there who want positions of influence in your life, and they can lead you to places you do not want to go. Chapter 1, verses 15. Remember, this is the, the leaders, these false leaders, but they also have these, these qualities that they, they influence in other people and those who follow them. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They have this, and they, 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 they produce this in their followers. And then verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Notice the stress there. Wow, influence. These men have influence, and look at where their influence will bring you. You'll become unfit for any good work. 
you'll be irrelevant. Here, ironically, they think they're so hip and with the times and relevant. To use our language, they wouldn't use that. But actually, they are making themselves and their followers detestable, disobedient, and unfit. Unfit for any good work. And, and here in, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, notice the sudden contrast. But as for you. It's as if Paul is now turning to Titus himself. But you should live in contrast to these men. You should be a man in emphatic contrast to these men. But you, but as for you. What is, what is Titus supposed to be such a contrast in? He is supposed to be very firm on the fact that the grace of the gospel produces change in your life. And that's what chapter 2 is all about. Be sure, be insistent upon this fact that God's grace changes all who have it. Notice how strong Paul's uh, language is in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then at the end of the chapter, kind of a, kind of a bookend, a, a kind of a, a summing up of what he has just said in verse 15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Literally, don't let anybody think around you. Don't anybody get around these implications of the gospel. This is how someone should live if they know the grace of God. Don't let anyone think otherwise or this is the this is the theme of all chapter or two make sure your lives are in keeping or fitting with the gospel the gospel truth is glorious and wonderful and it should result in certain fruit in your life and you should insist on it in your people verse uh, verse 1 there what accords with this is an idea of something that fits the gospel message it's suitable it's it's proper it's it's fitting in with it, it's basically saying uh, make sure you have lives that fit with the gospel make sure people look at the lives of all the members of the church and they say yeah that makes sense that makes sense. This is the, the, the good news that they believe. This is the doctrines they profess. This is the life they live. That makes sense. That's fitting. It accords with. It fits. It's keeping with. That's what it's saying. Notice, Paul is not going to start talking about the doctrines they believe as much as the lives that should result from the doctrines they believe. Or, just to say it simply, be sure, be sure that grace changes everyone who has it. The grace that comes to you in the gospel must change you. It is important. It's insistent. And this is what Paul is saying in the entire letter. And you know the theme of the letter, right? He wants this, these churches of Crete to grow up in faithfulness so that they may be fruitful in their life. Uh, fruitfulness, effectiveness, influence comes from faithfulness. Faithfulness with how you hold fast to truth and with how you hold fast to the implications, the applications of those truths in your life. And now, notice, he's going to address all of these groups. 
And in verse 2, he addresses the older men of the church. In verse 3, he addresses the older women of the church. And in verse 4, he addresses the younger women of the church. In verse 6, he addresses the younger men of the church, and then Titus as well. And then in verse 9, he addresses the slaves or the, the servants of the church. And notice, notice the, the, the simple implication that you can take from that, right? The gospel transforms everyone who has it. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter where you fit on the social spectrum. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. The gospel and the grace that comes from the gospel transforms your life. And it is important. It is important that you live a life that's fitting with it and keeping with it. Now tonight I want to talk about talk about how the gospel applies to older men and uh, last time I checked none of you are older or men so this is going to be difficult right but I think you'll find very quickly that this has a lot more to say to you than you think it does uh, as we will see so let's just let's just think about this what what does the how does the gospel apply to an older Christian how should the gospel look in an older individual now, application hint, if you're a younger guy, this is what you're shooting for. If you're a woman, this is also what you're shooting for, but in a roundabout way. You figure it out. We report, you decide. All right. So, what does it look like? What, is it, what does an older man have that shows that he also has the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life? Well, here's a few commands that he follows. Number one, uh, get control of your mind. Get control of your mind. The life that is that has the grace of the gospel in it ha- is a life that has a mind under control there's there's two words that are very parallel in meaning so parallel in fact that it's it's hard to really separate their meanings from each other and, and i want you to notice how both deal with the control of the mind in chapter 2 verse 2 older men are called to be sober-minded you even hear that in the word itself, minded. And then also, the other word, notice there, self-controlled. Perhaps if you have the LSB, you see temperate and sensible. But both of these deal with the mind and the results of the mind in the life. Sober-minded, or someone who is temperate, uh, literally means somebody who holds no wine. Now, probably it doesn't mean that. Although, clearly, from his teaching on the false teachers, it probably could imply that. But this has kind of a more a general meaning of moderation. Your life is marked with a soberness of mind. A soberness of mind, a moderation in the mind. You are not controlled by passions or desires. You are sober. You are clear-minded. You are level-headed. This person's mind is in control. It's not being controlled by something or someone else. Uh, this kind of mind, this sober-mindedness, will obviously result in a self-control in your life. When your mind is sober, your life is controlled. Careful. And then notice also the other word, self-controlled. This is one who is in control of themselves, who is, who is prudent. The word can mean sensible. It can even mean thoughtful. And basically what it's saying is, this is someone who thinks before they act and acts because they think, right? This is a person that lives a distinct way because of the way they think. 
and and refuses other things because of the way they think as well. Their thinking is causing their life to be under control, to be sober-minded. They're they're serious people. Not serious in the boring sense, but serious in the sense that they know what is truly dangerous. And they can steer clear of it. Their lives are not out of control because their minds are in control. They are not ruled by their passions. They are ruled by a sober-mindedness and the calm heart that that mind produces. Or, to put it another way, uh, these men are old. Or, to put it in maybe a way that you'd understand a little bit more, these men are no longer childish. They're sober-minded. They've grown up. They're maturing. Remember last spring we talked about some of the you know uh, essential attitudes of the believer, and and it, and then we talked about how there are some struggles, some temptations that are particularly uh, testing of you because you are so young. Remember how Second Timothy two twenty two said, "Flee youthful passions, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with all those who call upon the Lord from a true heart." It seems to me that there are particular passions that are tempting, precisely because you are young and immature. Now, there, there are there are some things that you are more given to because you are more childish. Remember, I made a. Um, a few suggestions over what these might be. And in order to help you, I'll just repeat the list really quick. For, for young women, what are the youthful passions that women may um, succumb to, be particularly tempted by? They might be tempted by a quickness to critique others. Once again, they, they love to speak, and sometimes they don't always think about all the things they are saying. Now, that doesn't necessarily... I mean, a young man is not struggling with that as well, but that's, once again, something that I see often in young women. They also struggle with, struggle with a recklessness with their words at times. Their tongues can really bite and devour. They can also struggle with recklessness with their heart for the sake of relationship. They're, they're willing to forego, perhaps, sober-mindedness in order to gain something in relationships. Uh, they have a heavy fear of people's opinion often. They often have a, an intense self-focus. They often have a resistance and rebellion to the, the discipline of their parents or their parents' authority in their life. That goes any young person. They also struggle with a vanity. It's a, it's a, it's a focus that sometimes is, is focused solely on the external uh, over the internal heart. They're always thinking about how they look instead of how their heart looks. But what about for a young man? This is much easier for me because I understand this. I see it in my own self. I think young men struggle with laziness. They struggle with a lack of discipline in their life. They, they, they struggle with a, uh, uh, an inner desire to resist responsibility. Why? Because they love free time. They, they have too much free time in their life. They love pleasure. They are addicted to entertainment. They have a reluctance to hard things. They have a reluctance to thinking. They are bored of thinking. Now, 
Now, in the original context, what Paul is probably saying to Timothy in 2 Timothy is, don't be ashamed to be bold with the truth. Flee the youthful passion of of being sloppy with truth. And and that's perhaps what he's actually saying. And, And men seem to struggle with this. They are reluctant to thought. They also have an arrogance towards danger. They are overconfident in everything. They think they have no limits, and they're willing to try everything. They are not sober minded at all. And they'll get you in trouble. They are generally immature. They are immature in their strength. They're immature in their passion. They're immature in their ability. They don't know how much strength they have. They don't know how much weakness they have. And it gets them into trouble all the time. And all to say, older men who are marked by the grace of the gospel are in control have grown up, have put away childish things. Why? Because, first and foremost, they have gained control of their mind. They have become sober in thinking. Control of life comes from a controlled mind. A controlled mind comes from a sobered mind for truth. And a sober mind comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Next characteristic of a life, uh, particularly of an old man who is, who, is, who is fitting the gospel, don't just get your mind under control, but also get dignity in your steps. Get dignity in your steps. The, the person who gets control gets dignity. What is dignity? Dignity is a life worth following. Or a life that welcomes followers. It's somebody who everybody looks up to and says, I want to be like that individual. Dignity. Someone who is worth following. Get dignity in your steps. Now you're probably thinking, getting control of my mind? That doesn't just sound like something that older people need. That sounds like something I actually need and I actually want in my life. Just think what it would be like to not be succumbing to all the passions and the poles of the world around me. I could really stand a little bit more of self-control in my life. That would be great. I would love to be a person like this. That's exactly what dignity is. You look up to this individual and you say, look at them. They stand above the fray. They are not following after all of the things that the world says they have to follow after. They've got a mind that's sobered. And you see that result in their life all over the place. They are not that life like that city without walls that can be so easily raided and broken into and everything can be stolen from. That's what Proverbs says. A man is like without self-control. They are not a life that is one defeat after another, after another, after another. No, they are a life that's growing stronger and stronger every single day to the point where they're not only able to win small battles, but they're also able to provide protection and security and safety for others around them. That is a life of dignity. Someone who leads you well and can provide incredible protection for you because why? They are self-controlled, sober in mind. That's a person that I want to be around. That's a person that you want to be around. That's a person that you want to be like. That's dignity. A life that is reliable. A life that is a sure defense. A life that means protection. Now I've got a newsflash for you. What I'm describing here, dignity, 
is not the same thing as old age. Don't, don't just say one equals the other. Don't just say, hey, when I get old, I'll be dignified. When I get old, I'll be more self-controlled. That, that is not the same thing. Notice, Paul is talking directly, basically directly to the older men and say, these men better get self-control. These men better get dignity, which implies that they don't necessarily have it. These things must be produced, pursued in your life. Matter of fact, in verse 6, you see it. Self-control is also the calling to the young men. Matter of fact, self-control is the theme of this whole chapter. Older men are called to get it. Uh, Women, you don't see this as much in English, but older women are to teach what is good, or in verse 4, train uh, train in prudence the younger women. That's basically train them in self-control, a similar word group. Younger women, in verse 4, are called to self-control. Younger men are called to self-control. Look at self-control is all throughout this chapter. Self-control is the mark of a Christian, someone who controls their mind. And this isn't automatic. This doesn't just happen when you're old. This is something supernatural happening in your life. So, two points of clarification concerning old men and the gospel grace. And this, I think, is helpful to you as young people. Uh, Number one, the gospel works change in your life regardless of how old you are, right? Regardless of how old you are and how set in your ways, the gospel insists that it will work change. So there is this saying out there, right? You can't teach an old dog new tricks, but that's not true with the gospel. The gospel says you can, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, train an old dog in new ways. That is the power of the gospel. And and this applies to you as well. No matter how set in your ways you feel like you are, the grace of God trains you still. And still is important and insistent in your life. The gospel works change in your life, regardless of how old or how young you are. But another thing, another point of clarification, the gospel will work change quicker if you start sooner. There, there is an implication here as well, because he's saying to the young men, be self-controlled, and the old men to be self-controlled. Hey, old men, or hey, young men, start this well, it's easier. Because self-control gets harder as you get older. And if you don't get self-control, you don't get dignity, you don't get anything, you don't have a life worth following, and you are useless. You are, verse 16 of chapter 1, unfit for any good work. Start this well, you are young if you want self-control get get dignity get dignity a third characteristic of the life fitting the gospel get soundness in everything clearly i'm running out of creativity get soundness in everything that's basically what paul's saying though in verse two at the end sound in faith and love in steadfastness what else is there paul is saying get soundness in everything what does it mean to be sound it means this is probably a word that's very familiar to you it means healthy it means free from error or impurity or anything that might cause weakness in your life you have a life free of all that you are sound you are sealed up there is no error or weakness in your life no cause for stumbling in your heart or in your mind 
You are like an athlete who has trained with persistence day in, day out, has removed weaknesses from their life and is getting stronger and stronger. You are healthy. You, you are like a field that has been purified of weeds and, and, and good crops have been put into that. You are a, a field that is healthy, that is pure, that is free from anything that could disrupt or cause injury. Soundness, spiritually, comes from like a simple habit in your life. It's a simple habit that is, is two parts, and this will sound familiar to you. It basically, soundness comes from renouncing or putting off everything you find and putting to death any ungodliness that you find or anything that is against the knowledge of Christ in your life. That is where soundness comes from. It comes from removing, renouncing things that are evil, and it comes from putting on and pursuing lives that glorify Christ and obey Christ in all things. That is what soundness looks like. Not very easy. But that is a sound life. And that is what an older man can have if he is disciplined. He can have soundness in everything. Soundness in faith. Soundness in love. Soundness in steadfastness. What does that mean to be sound in faith? It means he holds fast to faith in Christ without doubting. Without wavering. What a glorious thing to be said of you. Sound in faith, sound in love. He holds fast to Christ in love, but also he holds fast to other people. Other people without wavering as well. He is sound in love. He is also sound in steadfastness. He holds to all of these things without wavering under pressure. He is reliable. He is consistent. He is everything you want to be as a man and everything you want in a man. Where does such a life like this come from? Where does such self-control come from? Where does such dignity come from? Where does such soundness come from? Where does a life like this come from? Because this life is a life of relevance, influence. Where does a life like this come from? Well, once again, what does the world say? about relevance the world says chase significance by keeping up with times staying young staying trendy but look at what god's word says god's word says chase significance fruitfulness relevance by how soundness and everything or if we are to interpret titus by titus Soundness in everything. It's very simple for you to start doing today. It means instead of pursuing all of these trendy things in the world, you in your life welcome gospel rebuke. You welcome the rebuke that comes from the truth of the gospel in your life. If you want soundness, significance in your life that lasts, you make a habit of having a heart that welcomes rebuke from the gospel. Not just anyone, but from the gospel. Is this a life fitting with the gospel? If not, I should have nothing to do with it. And this is actually our our last point. It's kind of a a how-to point, if you will. Get control of your mind, get dignity in your steps, get soundness in everything. And basically, how do you do this? Last point. 
Get the grace of God in the gospel. Get the grace of God in the gospel. Like I said, soundness is a word you've probably heard. Chapter 1, verse 9, it's the qualification of a church leader. It, It describes him as someone who knows truth, but also knows how to rebuke someone who contradicts it, right? He knows the ins and outs of truth. And he also knows how to to reveal, bring conviction of truth, of sinfulness of a thing. He is faithful with the Word of God, and he can actually bring conviction through the Word of God into your life. That's verse 9. But then over there, in, in verse 13 of chapter 1, notice, notice the power of this rebuke. What is it able to produce in the life of someone who hears it, who makes a habit of welcoming rebuke in their life? Rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. How do you become someone who is dignified, somebody who is worth following? You have a heart and mind that is ready to receive gospel rebuke. That's what he's saying, right? These men are sound in the faith by implication because they have received the implications of the gospel and they are insisting on nothing else in their life. I am going to follow Christ and no one else. I'm going to remove anything that is outside the knowledge of Christ. I'm going to pursue and put on everything that is in Him, that is true, that is holy, that is righteous, that is just. This is where soundness comes from. And this you get only through the gospel. Believe it or not, soundness, self-control, is not saying just sheer willpower. It's not just saying, Paul is not just saying, teach these old men to just, you know, you know, tighten their belt and get going and be self-controlled. You guys got to be more self-controlled. Go home and start thinking self-controlled thoughts. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, teach them the truth of the gospel and show them how to live it out. Show them what it means to have the grace of Christ Jesus in their life and how they can apply this knowledge to themselves. Remember, these are all things in chapter 2 that are in keeping with sound doctrine. This, this is a life that, that fits, that makes sense. That's the natural result and response of the gospel in their life. This is an application. This is fruit. This is a life that welcomes truth. But what is the sound doctrine that your life should be fitting, that should be, it should be lining up with perfectly? Well, Paul will tell you. In chapter 2, verse 11, notice that first word, for. This is after, this is after all of these applications to every single person in the church. He says, for. This is not a new section. But this is a section that provides the basis for all those commands and applications that he has just made. You want to know why people should live like this? You want to know why the gospel changes everyone that it touches? Because, verse 11, 4. 4. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present life, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Well, why are we to live upright, self-controlled, dignified lives that are full of soundness? Because, why? Because the grace of God has appeared. God's grace has appeared. Not your greatness has appeared, but God's grace has appeared in the muck and mire of your life. God's grace has come down and appeared to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Also, God's grace has entered you into Christ's training school of grace. What happens in Christ's training school of grace? You learn to renounce ungodliness. You develop a distaste for ungodliness and unrighteousness. You hate it every week as you grow in godliness. And what else? It also trains you to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this age. It trains you. You're in Christ's training school of grace. All who have received Christ Jesus must also enter Christ's training school of grace. Why? Because that is the reason for which Christ has come. Notice verse 14. He has not paid for their pardon with cheap tokens. Verse 14, He has given Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. The grace of God must change because the sacrifice for that change is too precious. God's grace comes to you in your hopelessness. God's grace has entered you into Christ's training school, and God's grace points you wonderfully in a new direction in life. Verse 14, you are now a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Notice also it says in verse 13, you are eagerly waiting, you are sober about your life, your mind is under control. Why? Because you see all of this life as this long and Christ is coming soon at any moment and your life is filled with self-control and soberness because you are eagerly awaiting his return. That is what God's grace does in your life. God's grace is is insistent upon change in our life. Self-control is not just our strength, not just our willpower. Self-control is the presence of the grace of God in your life. That's what self-control is. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit in your life. And that's who we're called to be. Self-control, sober-minded, dignified, sound. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for uh, this passage of Scripture. We pray that we would be people of dignity because we are people of sober-mindedness, because we are people who welcome rebuke, because we are people who have received your grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.